Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good evening, everyone. I'm Nick Saveri. Hey, and I'm Mike Leon. And welcome to Can We Please Talk, the show that talks about a variety of topics. This is our third episode. We led off with talking about the media. Then our previous episode was talking about the coronavirus. And today, quite timely, so we're breaking down the election. Oh, man. it's What a crazy uh, couple days it's been so far. The election, obviously, is still going into today, and there's still critical states that are Uh, counting votes right now up to the minute. Um, We're going to get into all of, you know, what's going on. Why are votes still being counted? Obviously from the mail-in ballots, the absentee ballots. um, And there's just so many different topics. A lot of things that have just broken recently with the Trump administration and a couple lawsuits in different states. But Nick and I are here and we're going to try to break it down as best as we can for you guys. Absolutely. So, as we, as to Mike's, uh, as Mike let off, uh, just talking about where we are currently with the election. From the Associated Press, we're looking currently at Joe Biden at 264 electoral votes to Donald Trump at 214. What we're currently waiting on right now are the states of Nevada, which is currently le- leaning toward Biden right now. Uh, at a total, uh, Biden leads 49.3%, difference about 8,000 votes with 75% of r- votes being reported in. Obviously, looking at Pennsylvania, with Trump currently in the lead at 51%, Trump or Biden behind at 47.9, a difference of about 200,000 votes, uh, with only 88% reporting so far. Yeah, and that that has gotten smaller, too. You know, Donald Trump last night, as of 2.30 a.m. Eastern time, earlier this morning, 
was a pretty big in Pennsylvania, close to 700,000 votes. And now as the Philadelphia area has started to count in these mail-in ballots and uh, so many mail-in ballots have, have, have come in this year to different states and Pennsylvania was one of them that didn't start counting until day of. So a lot of these votes, a lot of tend to lean democratic, especially from the mail-in perspective from registered voters. So um, that's why that number is starting to shrink a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because when we watched the the broadcast yesterday, you know, this, regardless of networks that you followed, one thing that was interesting to see was the constant emphasis on day of voting or even early voting, and looking at the numbers coming in, and which painted a, a picture leaning toward President Trump remaining in office. Uh, what we seem to be forgetting, or at least the way television sort of put it out there, what seemed to not be talked about as much was was mail in voting. Which is interesting because for Democrats and really nationally, the conversation has been how to make this election safer in, in the time of the coronavirus. So with right. millions of votes coming in, um, not accounted for on the previous night, and not to mention at least six states don't begin counting, two of which being Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, obviously, until yesterday. So there's a lot of information coming in, as we saw late into the night, people well, like myself, admittedly, staying up, seeing what's going what's gonna to happen, right. subconsciously knowing you, ca- you have to wait. You've got to let the process work itself out. That's why this is in place. That's why we have mail-in voting. We should celebrate it. The television coverage has been one of the uh, the cooler things, at least from somebody like myself who's worked in the media, just seeing the way and knowing how Fox's decision desk operates and, and the mathematics that they take into account. They're the only network that has called Arizona uh, for um, the vice president, Joe Biden. Um, other networks have kind of shied away from that. So like right now, CNN, NBC, ABC are still at that 253 to 213 electoral count. Whereas Fox and the Associated Press have it at 264 to 214 for Joseph Biden. So it's, it's interesting to see like even the dynamics like that coming into play in the television networks because people are flipping around throughout this. You know, this is almost like having the Super Bowl on every single major network. So you get to hear different announcers, different perspectives, uh, different people from, from the left and right uh, that have been in these key Senate races, former presidential candidates, um, governor races. And you get to hear all their perspectives as to what their campaign uh, would do in these times, uh, what's going on. Some of them have even Chris Christie on ABC has, has prepped President Trump in debate. So he's been a crucial figure in, in their uh, coverage, election coverage. And it, it was interesting to see because you talked about also mail-in ballots, right? Um, we knew all of this was going to happen. Right. Like everyone knew that the surge of mail in ballots, how many people were able to vote early from October 19th. A lot of states started some started October 12th uh, up until November 1st, that there was going to be, you know, an excess of uh, 100 million people that voted early. Um, So then that means and we're looking at the totals right now, um, you know, you got over close to 138 million more people have voted. So that means, you know, almost 38, 39 million people went out to the polls the day of. And these mail-in votes are so crucial 
to a lot of these races right now, the critical races that we're, we're going to discuss, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, specifically, um, these, there's crucial mail-in ballots that are being counted now. And it, there's a process to counting ballots. It's not the same as somebody going in and marking uh, in a voting booth. It's, it's a little bit different. You know, they have to be verified. Some states require signature verification. You know, um, 33 states can start processing ballots a week before the election. But that doesn't mean the counts are over, you know, then there are some states that they don't actually start until day of Pennsylvania being one of them. So uh, there's so much um, and I I would use the term chaos, not not so much to describe the overall process, but just so many moving parts in so many different states. And then you throw in a global pandemic. Um, And it's it's pretty interesting to see. And this is what these television networks are soaking up. So the coverage has been uh, a pretty interesting, to say the least. You know, it's interesting in, in thinking of the coronavirus, which we covered last week, and hopefully you've all checked it out on our YouTube channel, is this conversation, though, about in the midst of that, as we live in the coronavirus, when you still look at the presidential vote totals, you're still looking in excess of the 2016 election, which that in isolation is a very powerful data point to the increased level of engagement nationally in this race. Um, we're hearing numbers that this may be... Um, most votes that we're going to see in over 100 years for a presidential election, right. which is stunning. Yeah, in Biden's midst- already gotten the most yeah. votes ever as a candidate. Yeah. yeah, and that's in the midst of a global health crisis. Um, where regardless of the result of the election, or however you fall upon this politically, we celebrate the power of democracy. You know, what we have seen in the United States, this ability that people are getting out to vote, either through their ballot drop-off boxes, which was the case for myself and my wife, through mail-ins, just using the postal service, to showing up the day of or showing up for early voting, there's been multiple opportunities to get in and to vote. That's not to say that there isn't the advent of voter suppression. That is certainly a, a challenge that has to still be reconciled, not to mention the fact that you have just different voting laws and such. Um, but all that being said, I think it's important to celebrate where we are and the level of engagement and the number of votes coming in. And at the same time, stress the fact that Trust the process. I, I, I was trying to avoid that phrase for, uh, for NBA fans, phrase, but it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's inevitable, though. Um, we trust the democratic process. Every vote gets counted, and then we see where it shakes out. Yeah, and, you know, Nick and I have made uh, a point of emphasis on this show to not take a political stance left or right, regardless of where we believe, right? We, do, we should celebrate the fact that this is our democracy at play. One of the things you were talking about with voter suppression, I wanted to go to the opposite end of that spectrum because, you know, there's 19 states, and, and this is something that obviously I learned over time, but uh, it's been emphasized this year, you know, because of the messaging, especially from the Trump administration about mail-in ballots and, well, and, and the legality around it. Um, but 19 states allow same-day voter registration, and those numbers this year have really increased, you know, and, and um, uh, 12, 12 of those states, excuse me, 13 of those states are Democratic, six of those states are Republican. Want to go uh, vote and, and, and day of and you haven't registered, you can at those states. Um, so it's pretty uh, interesting to me to see that because that, that came into play. And for a lot of people that maybe don't follow politics, um, and, and just follow, you know, they parachute in on the presidential election once every four years. So they don't know how this process works. They don't know the cycle. And to see that, that you can go day of, you know, we were texting uh, family members, hey, did you go vote? 
you know, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out. Early voting started on the 19th. We had a lot of people in our family that early voted, my wife and I included here in Florida. So um, it was it was pretty good to see that at play, you know, to take the opposite uh, side of the spectrum in terms of, you talked about voter suppression. I wanted to talk about some of these states that really do a good job of emphasizing, hey, even though you're not registered, you can still come here today, we'll register you and you can vote. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, I think we 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 think of changes in voting laws since the the reversal of the um, of the Voting Rights Act, you know, from 1965 and a few years back with what we happened, uh, what we saw happening in the Supreme Court. To that end, with now states having more opportunities to really just stake their claim in terms of what they want voting to look like in their respective state. But to that end, seeing these higher vote totals, seeing this higher level of engagement, it does make the argument that we're still able to engage in this democracy, that there may be some hurdles that states are putting up, which to be fair, what we're seeing in Georgia seems to point to the fact that people are still getting that access. We're not hearing as much about um, what we heard during Stacey Abrams' bid for, for the governorship in, in, uh, right. in Georgia a few years ago. Um, that's not what's happening. Right now we're seeing in Fulton County, the vote that, that continues to go. As we're talking right now, as I'm looking you know, through the AP, um, you know, Georgia still, it's 49.8% to 49% uh, in favor of the president. 98% reporting. You're looking at, I mean, it's a, it's a slim margin. And to say in 2020 that Georgia is still on the table, and Vice President Biden spoke to this yesterday around 1 o'clock in the morning, talking about the fact that Georgia's still in play. Yeah. And that's astonishing. Well, you know, and I wanted to echo that because I was I was talking about this um, off air with a, with a few friends of mine. But the absence of a third party candidate this year has has really been a huge difference. But I wanted to keen in on Georgia because, you know, Joe Jorgensen uh, from the Libertarian Party is on obviously the ballot there um, in, in other states as well. But especially in Georgia, you know, she was able to get 60,000 votes, you know, we, we just talked about the vote count right now is under 50,000, you know, that could easily sway, you know, the 16 electoral votes that come with Georgia going to either President Trump or Vice President Biden. Um, so just thinking about that, because we saw it in 2016, and you saw this in the network coverage for a lot of these networks, they always go back and have, you know, their data map show the 2016 and, and what was going on in that county versus 2012 with Obama Romney, just for context, right, as to show what's going on in 2020. And, you know, back then you were seeing, you know, Jill Stein eating up some of the votes uh, Johnson was eating from the Libertarian Party as well, was eating up some of the votes in some of these states. And here's Joe Jurgensen, you know, getting 59, 60,000 votes in a state that, you know, normally you don't think of as Democratic, right? And, and here's a chance for a Democratic candidate to actually win it. Could that impact it as Fulton County still is counting votes? Um, it's pretty crazy to, to see. But I think that's been a big thing that a lot of people haven't talked about. You know, we choke about the Kanye West thing. Um, but, you know, there, there really wasn't, there was an absence of a third party contender that could really, you know, you saw it in 2016, especially in Utah, Evan McMullen had 20% of the vote. Um, and there's so many different examples. It, it, very small. It's obviously happened bigger in other elections. But, um, the absence of a third party candidate has really put everybody in this, hey, I'm one way or the other way, 
And that's why you're seeing, you know, President Trump has eclipsed the amount of votes that he got uh, from 2016. And we mentioned earlier, Joe Biden has gotten the most votes that a candidate has ever received in presidential history. You know, it's interesting you bring up uh, Joe Jorgensen. Um, you know, when you look at Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, four years ago, you saw with third party candidates, in that case, Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, when you saw those three states go to Trump, what we saw essentially were third party votes that arguably pulled away from the Democratic Party. We stand now with looking at libertarian votes, and you have to ask yourself just from a, from a libertarian standpoint in terms of what that platform represents, right. were those potentially votes that had gone, that potentially would have gone to President Trump? And I would make the argument that I think this time around, those, while smaller third party votes, are probably affecting the Republicans more so than the Democrats, at least, at least in the, as opposition to four years ago. Because the Green Party typically would pull away from a Democratic vote, and we're not seeing that now. No, and that's a good segue, Nick, because, you know, our, our takeaways from last night is something I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, I, I've got a couple. I'm curious as to what, what was your big takeaway from last night that you saw when flipping around wherever it is you, you were going to bed? You know, because I know some states were already leaning red. When I went to bed at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up. And now later today, Wisconsin and Michigan have both been called for Vice President Biden. So what were some of your takeaways from last night, if you had to pinpoint one or two? Uh, if, well, only two. <laughs> right. yeah, right. There's a cu- couple things. Uh, there's, first, there's like 30, but yeah. Yeah, right. The first thing that comes to me is the number 37, which is the number of electoral votes that we've seen swing from um, from President Trump to Joe Biden. You know, looking at Arizona, Wisconsin, and Michigan, you know, four years ago, that helps to pad Trump's lead. You know, right now, we've seen that have moving in the direction of uh, Vice President Biden. The second thing that comes to mind is that four years ago, much like what we saw last night, was a narrative had began in the in you know in the networks. Um, you know, we saw polling data come in. We saw going into election day, Biden had been about plus ten um, percentage points ahead. And you know, again for another election cycle, we're seeing that national polling has to be. I wouldn't necessarily say it's something you completely ignore, although I'm going to probably tend to going forward. Um, but the bigger thing is the narrative has shifted. You know, four years ago. We spent most of the night up until about 10.30 p.m. thinking about Hillary, you know, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had the, had the race won. And I'll never forget that, but at around 10.30, one state had shifted. It might have been Pennsylvania, I forget, but it was a large state, a lot of electoral votes shifted. And suddenly, you could see the realization on every anchor's face of, this isn't going the way you thought it would. Fast forward four years later, it's now about midnight. And then it just dawned, it seems to dawn on a lot of networks. Right. And I, here I am screaming at the TV set. We're not counting mail-in votes. There's a whole set of votes coming in that are not being spoken of. And as I'm like texting all my buddies and such, you bring one of them too. Right. I'm not hearing this. And then suddenly you wake up this morning and the texts are coming in to me, but also just seeing the news broadcast that, that votes are starting to show up. That suddenly Vice President Biden is starting to pull is starting to pull back into those races. So just I think changing narratives and new data coming in in real time, I think just sort of changing what the narrative had been going into election day for the major networks and the shift in those 37 electoral votes. Those would be my two takeaways. Yeah, I mean for me and you, you just touched upon it because you texted me last night this um the Latino vote. Um <laughs> look, I am half Puerto Rican. My my mom, my mother's family is from Bayamón, Puerto Rico. My dad was born in Havana, Cuba. 
1953. And um, this is something that is so conflicting uh, for me because there's this tendency to think that um, especially the Cuban Americans are predominantly Republican, right? And the Latino vote yesterday impacted in a big way, right? We saw it obviously in Florida, right? Even though uh, Joe Biden did win the big three counties down here, Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach, the margins that he won them by versus uh, Secretary Clinton in 2016 were significantly smaller, almost 90 to 100,000 in Dade. Uh, I forget what the number was in Broward, right? But he made it up because of the Puerto Rican turnout in Orlando, right, which is you know, the, one of the biggest Puerto Rican conglomerates is in Orlando, right? Um, there's been a lot of uh, migration off the island to Orlando. My mom's entire family lives in Orlando, uh, just as an example. Um, and so it's, I, I was reading something earlier today from NPR about uh, Gerardo Cadava. He's, he's a professor at Northwestern University who wrote uh, a book about you know, um, the Latino vote. It's called Hispanic Republic. If you can check it, check it out. It's called Hispanic Republic Shaping of an America Political Identity. And, and it really talks about from Nixon to Trump and the Latino voters uh, influence within that, right? And, and, and he did a recent interview and they were asking him like, why, why don't Latinos, you know, either the turnout rates are either smaller or in this election cycle, they've been bigger, but they've been bigger for President Trump. And people are trying to wrap their head around it, right? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of different explanations. A couple are, you know, Latinos live in, the, if you look at the major cities, the major cities are on the coast. And then there's a huge Mexican population in, in Illinois, right? Well, those states are already democratic, right? So the, the expectation is, well, even if I don't go, it doesn't matter. My vote doesn't really matter in this state, right? So... Latinos get this, well, you know, they're kind of apathetic about it. And so they're not going to go out to vote. But in Florida, right, where the large concentration of Cuban Americans live here, especially in Dade and a little less in Broward and Palm Beach counties, they tend to really influence how the state, because of the population down here in Florida, how the state is going to vote. And last night, President Trump was able to get a lot of Cuban American support in this area, right? And that was able to, like I said, bring down the margins of what Biden could make up in terms of what Clinton did in 2016. And ultimately, you know, Trump won the state, I think, by about three, 400,000 votes, may have been even a little bit more. Um, but you know, people always ask me all the time, what, 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 is, what is going on with Florida? <laughs> they think I always live here. I, I, I don't. But, <laughs> but the second question is always, why do Latinos tend to vote, right, for Republican candidates, right? And I think what you're seeing is there's been this, um, especially from the Cuban-American perspective, right, as, as the son of an Afro-Cuban man who, who, who left in 1961 to come here during the Cuban Revolution, Right. Um, and I don't want to get into the entire um, Cuban Revolution history. Right. Or the fact that there was race and segregation on the island. My dad's an Afro-Cuban. Um, and then, you know, I have other family and friends that are white Cuban. When they came into this country in the 60s. Right. There was vitriol and racism towards both factions. 
right? There were signs down here in Miami, no dogs, no Cubans, no blacks allowed, right? But as they started to overwhelm the population, where now Miami, Dade County specifically, is a lot of Cuban Americans, and now it's the gateway, Miami is seen as the gateway to Latin America, there's a lot of Hispanics here, right? So the white Cuban has kind of assimilated into this country, and they tend to lean Republican, right? And they think about these socialist values that for some reason get put onto the Democratic Party, and especially because Biden ran against Sanders, they tend to think, well, Biden's a socialist, right? Not fully understanding um, or maybe uh, confusing because, you know, if you look at some of the what the Trump administration has done, if you close your eyes and you say, hey, this person, you know, broke ties with their our biggest trade partner, launched a country first agenda, uh, considers Russia an ally, you know, sends mixed messages, attacks the press, uh, appoints family members into government, you'd be like, oh, you're talking about the Trump administration. No, I'm talking about Fidel Castro when he took power in Cuba in the late 50s. And so for some reason, the Cuban American has conflated that now socialism, right, is somehow on the Democratic side, and specifically with Joe, with Joe Biden, who has no history of that. Um, we could go on about this topic for extended periods of time. But I wanted to touch upon that because Obviously, it's happening within my own family. I just mentioned how I'm half and half. Um, but also, I've seen it amongst friends that live here in the state, second generation Cubans, um, even going up against their parents and saying, hey, you know, like, no, I'm voting for Biden, whereas the parents are voting for Trump, so on and so forth. And I think yesterday, the, the Latino vote nationwide and the Latinx vote nationwide in Arizona, you saw, right, the big county there heavy Mexican population, they turned out and they're voting for Biden. So the, the Latino vote is really gonna, was really big and influential because it helped Florida and Trump get the 29 electorals. And now it may potentially put Joe Biden in the White House because, and it's a perfect segue into our last topic, which is now what? You know, because we still have a presidential election that you know, just we talked about this at the beginning of the show, right? The television network coverage, right? Fox is the only one. Their decision desk has given the state of Arizona uh, to uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. So now their elect the electoral lead is 264 to 214. Other networks have been cautious on Arizona. There's still votes that are being counted. So it's 253 to 213. What do you see right now, Nick? Um, and I want you to go first on this uh, and I'll end us, but like, what is, what do you see right now for the next 24 hours, 48 hours from the presidential election standpoint? And then obviously we talked about the down ballot races and what happened in the Senate, but give me the prediction that who's going to win. What do you think happens? And what, what, what do we kind of transition into over these next, you know, two, three days, maybe even into next week or even into next month? Yeah, I think the I think at a presidential standpoint, the 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 tra the pattern that we're seeing about counting votes votes is going to continue, um, and we're seeing democracy play itself out. So I think that you know right now Nevada is still at according to here we're looking at um, still seventy five percent reporting. Um, you know we're having states that are saying openly, we need time. 
And that's the important thing, that for the next few days, what we're going to see is just ongoing counting. Uh, on the flip side of it, you're going to see the Trump administration try to make a push to stop counting. The problem they're going to have there is that you can't tell a state, again, provided that votes, that votes were not offered after November 3rd, which is not the case. It's not, it's not an easy sell to tell state to stop voting. And the president last night made reference to going to the Supreme Court. I don't know if any of this can even get in front of the court because the state governments are going to say this is how we do things. And you know, for sometimes as critical as I can sometimes be about <laughs> the way our country sort of operates, right. this is an example of where states' rights are really going to play a huge role in the way they, they reserve the right to make their decisions, which you can argue is kind of perhaps what Justice Roberts was talking about a few years ago when removing the Voting Rights Act about federal protections. Um, so I think at, at that level, that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see more counting and we're going to see decisions going one way or the other. Um, the Biden camp seems very optimistic as to what's happening, but because of where the votes are coming from. We're still counting votes in Philadelphia, to give you an example. So they tend to lean toward this is going to shake out in that uh, Vice President Joe Biden will become the next president of the United States. And we also see on the other side that Trump is preparing his lawyers to, as much as possible, try to seek legal action. You know, one example of which being in Wisconsin with a recount. Um, former Governor Scott Walker had tweeted earlier today that, you know, a couple of years ago when he asked for a recount back in, I think, 2011, 2012, you know, it really just changed only by about 300 votes. Um, when you look at the difference of it currently 21,000 votes, I don't know if a recount makes any difference, but this makes this is the play to make sense. But the fact that Trump is already seeking legal action makes me think there are people in his ear saying to him, this, this ain't going to go the way you were thinking. So we have to think of the next course of action. And Trump does have a history of being quite um, litigious, to say the least. Right, to say the least, yeah. Right. I think that seems to be the way to go. Uh, in terms of at a legislature, le at a legislative level, um, I think the, the Democratic hold on the House is going to reduce, which is a huge talking point, which maybe we'll get to in another episode. Mm. And the Senate is going to remain with the Republicans. So we're looking at a scenario where, similar to what we've had since 2018, as a country, it's going to be interesting to see what legislatively gets done, actually, because I don't think you're going to see all sides... Um, all bodies of the government being underneath the, the tent of one party, which we saw prior to 2018. You know, it's funny because in, in these, in these last couple months, um, there's been such a buildup, right. To, to the presidential race, right. Um, at a, at a smaller scale to the Senate races too. everybody knew about the big money being spent in South Carolina to get Lindsey Graham out and, and to, for the Amy McGrath campaign against, uh, Senator McConnell in Kentucky. But th the presidential election has been such a big buildup and pretty much everything is going according to script. If you think about it, right, we could argue about whether or not uh, Democratic strategists overvalued uh, that voter turnout would necessarily mean in their favor. Yes, you know, uh, Vice President Biden has gotten the most votes in history. And yes, he leads the popular vote, but we all know that's because of the coast cities, right? California, New York, um, and where he kind of makes up that ground. But what we're seeing now uh, was something that I said to some friends, you know, off camera was, you're going to see a potential where a traditional red state could flip blue. And we're seeing it right now with votes still being counted in Georgia. Texas for a while was 
for some weird reason, too close to call, <laughs> which you, a lot of the Texas Democrats, especially in the big cities like Dallas and Austin, have said, hey, we, we want, you know, Vice President Biden to come down here, campaign, spend money down here, and the Democrats chose not to, and target other areas like Georgia, like Arizona, like Florida, and close and competitive in Florida. Uh, some networks have already given it, them Arizona, and they're, they're under 50,000 votes in Georgia you know, with still uh, Fulton County and, and a large population that's, you know, predominantly urban and that tend to favor democratic voting. So I think for the overall process, there was a couple different scenarios that kind of played out, I think in a lot of people's minds, right? The first was a reelection of, of Donald J. Trump as president, right? And the entire Republicans controlling the Senate, right? The second one was, uh, everything going democratic, right? Joe Biden wins the general, and then they flip the majority in the Senate and still remain control in the House. I think the third scenario, while plausible, is probably the likely outcome. And it's, it speaks to the larger issue of politics in general and why people have such apathy towards it. We're going to see, potentially, if everything holds true, just from the voting and the, and the reporting as of when we tape right now, Wednesday nights, that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. The Republicans will control the Senate. The Democrats will keep a slim margin, but control of the House. So it means legislation will pass in the House, will get blocked in the Senate. You'll see a lot of executive orders potentially from President Biden. Um, and there'll be a lot of political grandstanding and a lot of things that people that don't follow the world of politics We'll start to say, oh, here we go again. You know, Fox News will have the President Biden's ineffective. CNN will have the, and, and the ones that lean left, MSNBC. Republicans are trying to stop President Biden's agenda, right? Nothing is going to get done under that hierarchy of, you know, a Democratic president, a Republican Senate, and a Democratic House. Nothing is going to get done, right? But you always look for either a clean sweep right or at least the legislative branches legislative branches excuse me to be controlled by one party and i think that my big takeaway uh from the entire cycle is that we got to the super bowl right and it's not really an exciting game while it's exciting in terms of the voter turnout and where we are in the counting process and we're still going into the next day the end outcome you know, like the Sopranos finale, right? It's, it's going to leave a, a, a bad taste in your mouth because you're going to have a president, right, where 68 million people voted for Donald Trump. So if President Biden wins, he's got to talk to 68 million people that did not vote for him, right? And vice versa, again, for Donald Trump, if he becomes president, how do you reconcile 71 million people not voting for you? Well said. That wraps us up here. Uh of course, I'm Nick Saveri. And I'm Mike Leon. And we'll see everybody next week. Have a good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.